Soon tea leaf had sustained a blow from the bamboo pole and was bawling for reinforcements from outside. There were three other pages in attendance on Bao Yu besides himself, all equally inclined to mischief. Their names were Sweeper, Plowboy and Inky. With a great shout of, two arms, two arms, down with the bastards. These three now came rushing like angry hornets into the classroom, Inky wielding a doorbar which he had picked up and Sweeper and Plowboy brandishing horsewhips. Yeah, so we have we have a a guy in his in his late teens, so we assume probably about eighteen, nineteen, and he is he's enrolled at the local school merely for the reason of essentially grooming young teenage boys. We we think I think that's what we would call it, wouldn't it? We would call it grooming nowadays because I mean he's he's older and the age difference that this you know is very significant at this time of at that stage in life. An age gap of this difference is 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 really the difference between uh, adult and child, and indeed, um, although the fact that this is almost like a schoolhouse setting, I guess that would hide um, the abnormality of his presence a little bit. My sense is that different students are at different levels, maybe working on different assignments. And- uh, yeah, I suppose, I suppose, and you don't know for certain actually exactly exactly what the different ages of the people involved are. Nonetheless, it's very strongly suggested that he is uh, using his greater age and wealth as a means by which to, yeah, kind of ensnare, I suppose. And the teachers, the teachers in on it, we're going to find out in a moment that the substitute teacher is also in on it. Mm. Uh, he's, the teacher is receiving bribes. The substitute teacher, uh, Jare, is... I think maybe even participating in uh, some of these, what we would consider like statutory rape, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's it's a kind of pedophilia, basically, isn't it? Yeah. And so we we said this is a funny chapter, and the funny stuff is going to happen in a moment. But it's, it's it, there is a really dark uh, yeah uh, undertone to all of it. Yeah, it truly is a an anarchic affair. Um. So so. There's there's a couple of things that I think are worth picking up in that in that passage. One is the term uh, soulmates that Hawks uses, and I think this is maybe slightly reflective of his. You, you get the sense that he's slightly prudish about things, uh, but he uses um, he has a certain discretion about the way he chooses to translate things. And the term soulmates here yes. in Chinese is qi uh, di, right? Which in literal sense, is um, uh, a god brother or or one who is not your biological brother, but to whom you feel a relationship as close as a biological brother. But in this case, 
it's a euphemism for the younger man in a gay couple. But the thing is, you know, to, to kind of maybe to illustrate what you were saying before about this very complex attitude they seem to have towards um, male homosexual relations, that the term can also mean um, an idiot, an asshole, a bastard, and a gigolo. And so uh, that is presumably a male prostitute. So the fact that this one term encompasses all of those different meanings, um, I think is reflective of the fact that it's a, it's like a highly, the treatment of homosexuals is, is very kind of mixed, you know, like there's, the, there's not the same degree of censoriousness or judgment, but it's not kind of benignly welcomed and accepted within society at the time, mm. I think. My understanding of chidi would be something like a blood brother. Uh, so chi is to carve. Sometimes it's used in the context of, mm. of contracts. Um, yes. Or, or yeah. needs. Or, or... Yeah. And so, exactly. so your brother, your brother, not by. It is. It is a kind of arrangement, you could say. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So what happens next is we're introduced to two characters who are known in English as darling and precious, but these are of course uh, nicknames. Um, for two of the two of the students, who were until very recently uh, both taken by Shriapan as uh, as Chidi as as quote unquote god brothers, and how the two of them strike up a kind of unspoken understanding or relationship with uh, Qianzhong and Baoyu, where maybe they don't speak to each other directly, but they kind of intimate through gestures and and kind of other other ways um kind of indirect ways uh the affection that they feel for each other or the attraction that they feel for each other and and then Qianzhong and darling one of the two uh managed to sneak out of class one day and then off the back of this uh, attempted tryst there ends up being a whole kind of uh a kerfuffle or brouhaha that kind of breaks out there are some quite good bits in talking about the way that these two uh, groups, the two pairs, kind of build up an understanding. So he, the author uses this term, ji mei nong yan, which is to say, dancing eyebrows and moving eyes, uh, which I think is you know quite quite a quite a good succinct way of conveying a whole variety of of sort of facial gestures and tics uh, in a non-verbal way, but which are intended, you know, in which is encoded quite a lot of meaning. I mean. Basically, what's happening here is that you have this tyrant, Shrepan, who has fixed his sight on these, again, the, these two somewhat effeminate uh, young boys. Yeah. And and he's kind of claimed them. Meanwhile, I mean, there was some insinuation that Bao Yu and Qin Zhong were themselves lovers. And there hasn't been any explicit reference to that in the text. Yeah. But I believe we are meant to understand that they are in some way or another rom romantically involved right so so our our character Bao Yu is bisexual yeah we haven't really come out and said that yet but i think because this is so common for the period that it's never explicitly addressed but it's it's almost assumed right i mean i think i think also you know there's a, a section in an, an earlier chapter when we're introduced to the character of I think he's called Feng Yuan. When we're first introduced to Xuepan, who is this this uh, this older um, villain character who's grooming younger boys, uh, right. we we learn that he killed a man because uh, this other man had 
bought a, a, a slave girl who he intended to marry. Yeah, Ying Lian. And then Xue Pan had also bought her. And when it turned out that they'd both paid and the, and the man who was intending to sell her had, had run off with the money, a fight broke out and Xue Pan had this other man killed. Now, this other man, I believe, is called Feng Yuan. And it's made expressly clear that he's homosexual. But somehow Ying Lian is so... It was fated. Beautiful. She converted him. Yeah, she has somehow converted him away from his homosexuality, which I remember thinking at the time, like, this is within our conception of sexuality, this is like a very deeply offensive thing to say, the idea that you can uh, somehow convert someone. Yeah. But it seems to be certainly within the, the kind of conception that the author has of the world that somehow you are able to kind of like pick up and put down sexualities in this way. Um, I don't I don't really understand exactly, but I was reminded of that here. It's just kind of implied that what he and Qian Zhong and presumably Darling and Precious are doing as well is just a bit of kind of schoolboy fun. And eventually they'll all go off and be uh, heterosexual men and be married to women and, and, and have children and so forth. Which is, yeah, very, it's a very, it's kind of unfamiliar. And it's also, you know, as I, as I said before, it's, it's one that I think is, would, exp- you know, would certainly strike you as offensive um, reading it as, as someone in the 21st century. But I guess it's that's sort of the context that they're, that we're operating in here, and I guess it's worth understanding. So I, I guess yeah, it's how should I put this? The boys' uh, insinuations, in effect, are not entirely without basis. Yes, even if the attitude is the same kind of uh, derogative attitude that is even to a, a modern audience uh, recognizable, right? Yeah. I wanted to also just point out the way that in the original, and this is hidden somewhat in the Hawks translation, the author pairs their names together uh, in such a way as to create kind of a combined name for... Okay, so what Hawks has as Darling is Xianglian. Yeah. And what, what he has as Precious is Yu-I. Yeah. And, and Yu is, of course, Jade. Yeah. And I is like love, but also maybe this in this sense like kai, like yeah, lovely, like cute. cute, yeah. And so that's why you get precious as a translation. Then the the original in a few sentences, darling and precious are referred to simply as shang yu. Yeah, fragrant, literally fragrant jade, right? Fragrant, exactly. Fragrant. You've taken, jade. you've taken, it, and he does the same thing with Qin Zhong and Bao Yu. He refers to them, I think, as uh, Qin Qin Bao. Does he not? Qin Bao, yeah. So yeah, like. Qin Bao passion treasure or yeah if you were to render it um, yeah lean literally into the, the homophony yeah right which which hawks doesn't do and that was interesting again because it maybe it lends weight to understanding you know these names as as worthy of interpretation that the author yeah. is trying to show you that these names aren't random that he's mm-hmm. he's thinking about them yeah and it's it's interesting then that that precious again has jade in his name and so i was kind of i was thinking about that and and what that might may or may not mean yeah it, it's really interesting i do believe in modern chinese having a man's a male name having jade in it is relatively common but you would never see that in in english right people are named are named jade but my sense is that overwhelmingly um this is designated as a, a female name am i am i correct definitely yeah, yeah yeah it's a very strongly female coded name in english but that that connotation doesn't seem to be present here either in the historical chinese language or in modern day chinese 
So what, what happens? Basically, Qin Zhong and Darling decide to kind of congregate, you know, both sneak out of class so they can meet up outside. And all they're doing at the time is talking when they're interrupted by another one of the students, Jin Rong, who is known in the Hawks translation as Joki Jin. Right. And he confronts them on what they're doing. And initially, it's suggested that he kind of wants to join in on whatever it is that they are planning to do. And now we learn that before Xuepan decided that he liked Darling and Precious, his previous favorite was this guy, Joki Jin. Uh, so anyway, he, he, he kind of hopes to, to, to kind of get involved somehow. But they, uh, Qin Zhong and Darling, are both, they pretend like there's nothing going on. And, and you know, I, I don't know what you're talking about, nothing to see here. Uh, so he instead starts kind of bullying them and, and, and mocking them. Anyway, uh, Qin Zhong and Darling go and complain to the teacher. And the teacher here would usually be this older man, Jia Dairu. But mm-hmm. uh, in this case, his grandson, Jia Rei. Um, as you mentioned before, is, is teaching in his place. And he's described in the Hawks translation as a spineless, unprincipled character. And we see that that's exactly true here. Because of his partiality towards uh, Xuepan, rather than going after Joki Jin for bullying the other two boys, he actually lays into Darling rather rudely. So he and Qin Zhong return to their seats rather crestfallen. And uh, Joki Jin is parading around the place telling everyone what he saw them doing outside with a high degree of embellishment. Uh, and at this point, one of the other students, uh, Jia Chang, decides that he can't let this go on, but that he can't directly get involved. So what he does is to sneak out and tell one of Bao Yu's pages, uh, as in you know, male servants, what's going on, uh, and get him really, really riled up. And this page, Tea Leaf, as he's known, goes charging in and starts a fight, uh, and the whole classroom descends into utter anarchy, basically, is, is, is sort of what happens next. Yes, yeah, it just keeps escalating and more and more and more until basically everyone's involved in uh, some skirmish or another. Yeah. This is the most fun part of the, the chapter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, one thing right at the outset that I, I think is interesting, we talked about this in a previous episode. There's this notion of ke chiao, which means... Luckily, or it's almost like serendipitously, something like that. It's it's the the you know the suggestion that luck or fate has had some part to play. So Ke Chao, the teacher Jia Dai Ru, uh, has something else that he has to do. So he has to leave the class, and so his spineless, unprincipled grandson Jia Rei um, ends up taking the class instead. And so this is the setting that allows all of this chaos to unfold. And there are, there are a lot of kind of interesting things that I think are described as Kerchow. Um, it's used in a lot of different contexts, but I think it's interesting to just kind of try and keep track of the different ones to understand what, how Cao Xuechen, the author, understands this, the meaning of this term. What, what does he mm. think of as, as a coincidence or, 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 or serendipity? Right, uh, these fortuitous uh, chance occurrences. Some of this stuff I think is interesting enough. We could just—I think it's worth just reading some of the, the more fun passages. Yeah, sure. And so basically, yeah, Jia Chong excuses himself and he goes out and he talks to to Tea Leaf and and, and he says, you know, hey, this guy Joki Jin is, is speaking ill of your master. Yeah. Right. Hawks renders the following line: uh, 
tea leaf was the most willing, but also the youngest and least sensible of Bao Yu's pages. Jia Chang told him how Joki Jin, Jin Rong, had been bullying Qin Zhong, and even Bao Yu came in for the share. Said Jia Chang, if we don't take this Jin fellow down a peg, next time he's going to be quite insufferable. <laughs> uh, and then it goes on, Tea Leaf never needed any encouragement to pick a fight. And now, inflamed by Jia Chang's message and open incitement to action, he marched straight into the classroom to look for Joki Jin. Jin, who do you think you are? And yeah. And the original in the Chinese is, Xing Jin da, Yeah, yeah. So rather than addressing him as... What are you? What stuff are you? Yeah, what object really... are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So rather than... Uh, yeah, it says, Yeah, bu jiao, jin xiang gong, which would be the polite way to refer to a young, educated man. Yeah, as you say, just sure. Xing jin de. Yeah. At this point, so, so Jia Chang has the good wits to, to leave. So that later, yeah. when Shri Pan come up to him and it's like, what happened in class? You know, I hear Joki Jin had his comeuppance. Yeah. So Jia Chang can plead ignorance. And then this, this is where it gets really uh, something else. So let, let me read more from the translation. Tea Leaf had by now singled out Joki Jin and grabbed him by the front of his jacket. And here's a quotation. Whether we fuck assholes or not, he said. What fucking business is it of yours? You should be bloody grateful we haven't fucked your dad. Come outside and fight it out with me if you got any spunk in you. <laughs> Indeed. You can, you can uh, really like imagine it. He's, he's, you know, he'll defend his master to the death. And, um, and yeah, I mean, this, is, this I feel like is uh, one place where even a relatively prudish translator can't really get around the coarseness of the language. Um, I mean, he says literally, So we fuck assholes, not fuck. <laughs> to do with you, like, what has it got to do with you, basically? Um, and and yeah, 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 you should be, you should be grateful we have not fucked your dad. And so after Tea Leaf uh, kind of verbally assaults uh, Joki Jin, Joki Jin is naturally extremely angry. Yeah. And his comment is really funny. It's really interesting. He says, this is mutiny. This is in the Hawks translation. Mm -hmm. I don't have to take this sort of thing from a slave. I shall see your master about this. And he shook himself free of tea leaf and made for Bao Yu, intending to seize and belabor him. And so again, we see this crazy uh, clash of hierarchies and, you know, sexual phobias and we have Joki Jin, who himself has engaged in homosexual activities, blasting um, Qin Zhong and Precious for alleged homosexual activities. So you have a kind of a uh, how, do, how do you say it? like a self-hating yeah uh, homophobia almost yeah um, and a kind of mixed hypocrisy, with these yeah. these these hierarchical questions. And and we're gonna find out that Joki Jin himself is a relatively lower status member of the you know uh, kind of yeah of the school yeah adjacency to the jack clan remember he's a jinn he's not a jack yeah and so this whole scene is just meant to uh upset any preconceptions of order and conventional meaning i think yeah absolutely uh, one question why do you think that david hawks renders it jokey jinn because his chinese name is jinn rong and the Rong right. is like uh, the same Rong as the Rongguo branch of the Jia clan. And, you know, I looked into the meaning of that and I didn't understand any sense of it being anything to do yeah. with like uh, 
jokes or humor or 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 anything even kind of tangentially related to that that's a very good question i don't have an answer to that yeah i don't know the only thing that i could come up with is that wrong has a, a sense of um kind of honor like or honorable and there's in that sense perhaps it's like a it's a joke meaning in that he is one who behaves very dishonorably but otherwise i didn't really i couldn't really mm. right maybe it's his being named honorable is ironic it's funny yeah it's yeah, a joke. yeah 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 that, yeah exactly so a fight breaks out basically and you know uh, an inkstone goes flying across the room and then someone else hurls their book bag back and meanwhile jokey jin whips out a bamboo pole and starts you know flailing he whacks tea leaf the uh, the page so he runs off and grabs the other three pages and they charge in um and, <laughs> so and then, do you have their names yeah, offhand? The, the section here is quite good so soon tea leaf has sustained a blow from the bamboo pole and was bawling for reinforcements from outside there were three other pages in attendance on Bao Yu besides himself, all equally inclined to mischief. Their names were <laughs> Sweeper, Plowboy, and Inky. With a great shout of, Two arms! Two arms! Down with the bastards! These three now came rushing like angry hornets into the classroom, Inky wielding a door bar which he had picked up, and Sweeper and Plowboy brandishing horsewhips. <laughs> you, yeah, you, <laughs> you, you can see um, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's Bedlam. Yeah, uh, but it also has this comical because they're they're all fairly young kids. This is kind of what you'd imagine the ultimate like class fight to be. Papers are flying in the air, <laughs> teacups are, are are breaking, ink and various liquids are just all over the place. Basically, yeah. There's, there's a few like choice lines. It says the more mischievous of the scholars mingled gleefully in the fray, safe in the general scrimmage to land punches at chosen foes without fear of discovery or reprisal. Yeah, it's getting right completely out of hand. Others stood on their desks, laughing and clapping their hands and cheering on the combatants. The classroom was like a cauldron of still water that had suddenly come to a boil. So there was one thing which uh, I yeah wanted to talk about the names of the pages. Honestly, I, I don't know exactly what to make of them. But so there are four pages. There's tea leaf, which in Chinese is ming yan. So it's the fragrance of tea, literally the tea smoke, but really tea, mm. tea, tea smell, tea fragrance. Then there's right. uh, Sao Hong, which is known as Sweeper in the Hawks, but really it's sweeping away red, redness, literally. Maybe dust, sweeping of dust, Hong Chen, right? Oh, good point. And then there's uh, Chu Yao, which is to Plowboy in Hawks, but it's Chu is to uproot, uh, also in a sense to eliminate, and, and Yao is, is medicine, having to do with medicine. And then the final one is Moyu, uh, Inky in the uh, Hawks translation. Um, and literally, yeah, it's, it's ink rain, pigment, kind of ink or pigment rain. These aren't style names per se, but it, yeah. they seem to be nicknames, one, one would imagine, right? Yes, absolutely. I think the thing is, it's just whenever we, we encounter names in this, I always think, you know, names in this novel are never coincidental. They're never accidental or they're never rushed. You know, right. every single character's name, I think, Sao Xueqian has thought carefully about before mm -hmm. choosing because he seems to be so fixated on uh, incorporating meaning into the names of people. Yeah. Which I think in a modern context might be frowned upon artistically or aesthetically. I don't know. I I'm enjoying it. I, I think it's interesting here. Especially because we are in this dreamscape yeah. and where you're kind of given license to give everything meaning if it's a dream. If you yeah. Know. 
Yeah. But the truth is that I haven't, I haven't quite kind of worked out the hidden meaning yet. I, I kind of imagine just a, a number of very small children who are just constantly covered in soot and dust and oil <laughs> yeah. and other kind of, yeah. you know, dirt. And again, this is the, this is the mud chapter. So yeah. they're, they're covered in mud and their names are indicative of that. Absolutely. So eventually the fight is broken up by um, Li Gui, the character we met right at the beginning when Bao Yu is being told off by his father, the one who manages to misquote that famous book. Uh, and he manages to bring the classroom back under control. You know, initially, Zhao Bao Yu wants to run off and tell the, the main teacher, Zhao Dairu, but Li Gui talks him out of it saying, you know, look, you know, you'll only bring shame upon yourself because things have got so out of control here the moment he stepped outside. You know, instead, shouldn't we try and just deal with it, you know, here and now? And, you know, he's not, he's not completely clean either. So he's kind of got dirt on his hands, so to speak. And, and so he's, yeah. it's in his interests to de-escalate the situation and not involve greater authority figures. Yeah. And then people discover who Joki Jin's, well, you know, what, what his kind of family ancestry is. And we discover that he's the son, he's the nephew of Mrs. Huang, who is... We learn someone on the Ningguo side. And so we know that he's basically a very minor relation. This is a good line. This is rendered by um, the person to kind of spill the beans is Tea Leaf, which yeah. is interesting because he's probably of the lowest status of all the people involved. But he seems to know all the details of, of the house and the family, maybe on account of his position or just on account of a sort of interest. And he says... In the Hawks translation, uh, Tea Leaf's voice piped up from outside the window. He's a nephew of Mrs. Huang on the Ningguo side. Trash like that, trying to scare us. I know your Auntie Huang, Joki Jin. She's an old scrounger. I've seen her down on her knees in front of Mrs. Lian, begging for stuff so she could go out and pawn it. What an aunt. I'd be ashamed to own an aunt like that. Uh, <laughs> so it's, yeah. he's again, he's, he's, he's a great character. Uh, <laughs> and so they... They, they initially, you know, he says, why don't we go and, you know, drag this Lady Jia, i.e. the, the matriarch of the, the Rongguo branch and the grandmother of Bao Yu, you know, drag this, drag this lady, uh, Mrs. Huang, uh, in front of her and get her to explain what her nephew has been, you know, her nephew's bullying and so on and so forth. But uh, Li Gui quashes this, this suggestion and says, no, no, we should just deal with it now by an apology. And so they, Qin Zhong and Bao Yu, agree that they will accept an apology from Joki Jin. There's a bit of squabbling about... What kind of apology? Exactly. So it's going to be a zuo yi or a kertou, which is... So a zuo yi is a bow with the hands clasped in front. So, you know, I kind of imagine it as... This may be wrong, but the way I'm imagining it is one hand in a fist and the other hand wrapped around the fist, held out in front of you, and a bow. That sounds about right, yeah. Versus the kertou, which is what we know as koto or kowtow in English, which is where you kneel down and tap your head on the floor, which is, you know, significantly more kind of demeaning. Sphere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, gesture of respect. And so Bao Yu insists upon the, the kowtow. Yeah. And Joki Jin is extremely reluctant. This is, this is uh, very embarrassing for him. Yeah. But he ultimately does it, right? So we've gone a, a fair amount of time. How about... Do you have any... My sense is that this is a fun chapter for you. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, look... It was very different than the other ones. Absolutely. I think it's fascinating. And obviously, look, that, you know, it's important to recognize that there are some bits in it that are rather more dark and disturbing. Um, 
Oh, definitely, yeah. Shuya Pan's grooming of these young boys. But, you know, by and large, the content is is intended to be more kind of light relief, I suppose. Mm. You know, the schoolboys having the fight and everything getting trashed and them all kind of slinging mud figuratively and literally quite sort of relatable, you know? Even if you haven't gone to school in this kind of refined context. You know, people who only know their Hong Lo Meng from the uh, television adaptations probably won't know about this particular um, scene. Oh, is this removed? Because of the... Because of the homosexual content, it's uh, you know it's been subject to um, removal, let's say, and so maybe this will be fresh to certain audiences uh, yeah. or, or to people who are with us now for the first time uh, engaging with the original text. I, I thought it was interesting that we've seen this swinging between the ideal dreamscapes and the nitty gritty reality of you know life on the streets. Uh, for many chapters now, and so while I want to, you know, characterize this chapter as you know in the mud, especially with given the darker elements to it, and maybe even given the if you want to give a, a psychoanalytical uh, association between mud and uh, and like excrement, the excess of essence, to use a kind of Bataillean rendering. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, because this is in a a learning setting. There is an element of the ideal, of the performative, and a distance from, you know, even the fight scene. It, it's a real fight, but it, it's it's almost a form of play. Yeah. In a way. And so this does seem to be kind of a unique form of, you know, part reality, part fiction, part gen, part ja uh-huh. that we've been discussing. So that's, that's kind of how I would maybe... Uh, Maybe those are my closing thoughts. I think that's a good place to leave it. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. This has been chapter nine of Hong Lo Meng. Another great installation, I hope, of rereading the stone. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we are on social media in various capacities. You can check us out on Twitter at rereading stone. We also have a Facebook page, rereading the stone. And a Reddit. And a Reddit page. So, uh, you know, choose your poison yeah. and uh, and uh, take care. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye.